happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. It is a beautiful summer afternoon here in Atlanta in 2019 in the midst of what many economists call the gig economy. We're going somewhere with this, I promise. My name is Ben. You would not believe your eyes. Eight million fireflies. So some, yeah, some. It's oh, a, it sounds just like the Postal Service, but it's a band called Owl City. Are they on um, wherever that record label was in the Midwest? Ah, Saddle Creek? Know. Saddle Creek, yeah. That's what I'm trying to think. No. Okay. No, I, don't th- I don't think so. Just felt like they would be. Well, no. They literally are like a one-to-one ripoff of the Postal Service, but they have this song called Fireflies that was very popular in uh, grocery stores across the country. Wait, who are you? I'm Noel. Oh, great. <laughs> Good. You're in the right place. Our, our resident music <laughs> snarker. Who was responsible for those lovely dulcet tones we heard just a second ago? Why, that was super producer Casey Pegram. And you may be asking yourself, gig economy, fireflies, are you guys finally doing that weird experiment where you both do one half of a completely different show? The answer is no, though that would be fun. Yeah. Have we discussed this? Uh, in my head, we have. I love it. <laughs> my, and we also, we also discussed the Nixon episode. Whatever happened to that? I think it's just sort of a, a terrible idea. You thought it was a great idea at first. I, I think it would wear thin very quickly. Yeah, it would have to be like a 12 to 15 minute episode. No, I think it would wear thin after about three minutes. Really? For me personally. Oh, okay. Like as you experience it. We as I in. experience it. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's not about us. It's about the audience. That's it's about true. you guys listening. Let us know. How do you really feel about <laughs> an all Nixon impression episode? And how do you feel about fireflies? Do you, what'd you call them? Fireflies? Lightning bugs? Torch bugs? Yeah. Little glowy boys? Mm-hmm. That's what I call them. Bright butts? Mm-hmm. Uh, flashlight locust? I'm just making things up here. Uh, strobe skeeters. These are all very good, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Noel. Thanks. So fireflies are actually beetles. 
which I think would surprise a lot of people, and they are the subject of today's episode. I think anybody who's grown up around these amazing creatures has at least a few nostalgic memories of seeing them come out, you know, as as the sun is westering and the night begins. You can start to see them pop up mm-hmm. and you can, because they're very easy to catch, yeah. you can get one in a jar, yeah, you can or, hold it in your hand. You know, squish them mm-hmm. and take that bioluminescent juice that drips forth from their tiny broken bodies and, you know, rub it on your hands or your face Mm -hmm. like some sort of weird uh, feral jungle child. Mm -hmm. Or a future makeup artist. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, not not, not necessarily a nice thing to do, much nicer to just like hold them and look at the cupped hand and then release them. But, you know, we all knew those kids that would, that would give them a good squish. And uh, it turns out in 1960 through the mid-90s, uh, there were a lot of firefly squishers in the Midwest, uh, roundabout Missouri. Yes, yes. Due to something called the Sigma Firefly Scientist Club, tens of millions of fireflies were caught in areas across 25 states and shipped into containers, uh, not just to have some gotta-collect-em-all Pokemon-esque thing, but because there was a big business about. Let's let's talk real quickly about what the, uh, let's call it the lantern, right? What makes fireflies glow? It's an enzyme called luciferase, and under the right conditions, this stuff produces that, as you described it, no bioluminescent gleam. And for this gleam to occur, the bug has to use a kind of energy called ATP. So if the bug's butt is a, a lamp, then ATP would be the fuel, and the enzyme would be like the match of the lighter that lights it. Scientists figured out how this all worked in the late 1940s and pretty soon after that biochemists said how can we apply this amazing substance what can does this have industrial applications and that's where sigma comes into play yeah and sigma for our purposes today are sort of like uh the man you know the mm-hmm. man that wants to squash uh these beautiful creatures on a mass scale because they just need that sweet sweet enzyme you know because they actually had developed uh an entire kind of slate of chemicals mm-hmm. that were able to use this bioluminescent stuff to light things up, right? And here's the thing. Sigma, for our purposes today, um, they're sort of like the big the big bad of this story. I mean, they didn't necessarily weren't all bad, but they were definitely the enemy of fireflies everywhere because they figured out that that enzyme could actually be used to detect bacteria in environments that were meant to be sterile. So it was something that really came in handy and was valuable to make sure there was no contamination in labs, for example, right? Yeah. Additionally, these chemicals can detect contamination in milk and water, and they can determine how much cancer is in a tissue. This next one reminds me of the old school Adam West Batman because people even attempted to use it as a shark repellent and according to Sue Hardwick, a supervisor at Sigma, it was once sent into outer space as a way to test for extraterrestrial life. Uh, we're getting a lot of this information from an author named Sarah Lewis, who is a firefly expert at Tufts University. She wrote a book called Silent Sparks, The Wondrous World of Fireflies. I love the title, and the story is worth uh, an entire book here because, as we said, Sigma realizes there's tremendous potential in capturing all these all these bright butts, right? And their problem is that you only get a little bit of this enzyme 
per bug. Sure. And you have to gather a massive amount of them. When we say earlier, tens of millions. And so they said, how can we collect these? We can't necessarily get all the fireflies together in one place. So we have to, we have to enlist the help of people who are around fireflies when they occur. They literally needed to establish a supply chain, Mm -hmm. and they did so in the form of, I don't know, it's some really clever marketing, that's for sure. I would almost argue they are tricking kids into doing this, but they formed this thing we talked about at the top of the show, which was the Sigma Firefly Scientists Club. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound fun and nerdy? Sounds like a, a good, healthy summer for a growing tyke. And here's what they did. They started publishing advertisements and then articles that were really just longer advertisements disguised as news uh, in local papers all across the Midwestern United States. These would be classified ads with all cap lines like, catch lightning bugs, uh, and then, Hey, kids, join the Sigma Firefly Scientist Club. It's fun, it's profitable, and an opportunity to make a valuable contribution to science. And so they say, you know, we're appealing to youngsters throughout St. Louis, for example, and you get 30 cents in cash for every 100 bugs you catch or $1 in ride tickets at three local amusement parks. It's genius. And I I maybe mischaracterized it earlier in the show saying they were tricking the kids, but it was definitely uh, a way of getting pretty cheap labor, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. 30 cents per hundred. I mean, that's, I don't know. What is it? Is that like good money for kids? Like, I don't know. I think definitely the company is saving a lot in in their supply chain, right? Uh, Because it's not like they're only making 35 cents in cash thinking, how are we going to keep this operation afloat? They did, however, form a pretty effective community. Uh, People were writing into Boy's Life, the Boy Scout magazine, about how uh, this was a great way to have fun, get outdoors, and make money. Adults approved of it because they said, you know, these kids are getting exercise, they're having fun, they're learning the value of, of hard work. And Sigma kept all these all these kids that were collecting fireflies for them in the loop. They would send out news, you know, you would get these collection kits, but then you would also get information on what Sigma was doing with what they were catching. You know what I mean? So it wasn't a black box. You weren't just sending fireflies off into the void and getting uh, a dollar's worth of rides at an amusement park. Yeah, but they also, like, they really built a culture around this. They had all kinds of swag, like T-shirts and uh, the special catching nets or whatever. They had buttons. Um, and, of course, you got that kind of candy money, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it absolutely thrived. Uh, it Eventually, it had thousands of members, and it wasn't just in the Midwest. It was across 25 different states. Uh, and actually, we don't really have exact data on, you know, where they were dispersed. Um, but what we do know is that the club members brought in over 3 million fireflies each year. Um, And this really was quite a massive operation that was pretty loosely run at first. It was, right? Yeah, for a while. And then they said, okay, this is sustainable. This is growing into a national phenomenon now. Uh, We need to... We need to invest a little in our communities. So that is why, by the middle of the 1970s, club members could pay a small deposit, 
and then they would get their official firefly hunting kit. The firefly hunting kit was pretty neat. It's the kind of thing that I would be into as a kid, and probably a lot of us listening would be as well. You would get a pamphlet telling you what a firefly is, what you're supposed to do, how you catch them, custom shipping canisters that were lined with desiccant, a net that, get this, had some branding. It was silk screened with the official insignia of the Sigma Club. It was a bug with a bow tie and white gloves, and then they also got buttons with a little glow-in-the-dark paint where the firefly's butt would be. Do you think it was made of uh, firefly guts? They probably had to use all that stuff just for the cancer research. They didn't want to waste <laughs> any of them on buttons. That's an interesting question. would have been foolish. And, of course, although it's, I'm, I'm having a great time saying the word butt repeatedly on the air, we should point out that the firefly's light-emitting organs are, in most of, most cases, they're on the lower abdomen. Yeah, right. So they're around where, like, your lower abs, dirty V, would be. Can I say dirty V on the air? I don't know what that is. Is that like a happy trail? It's kind of. It's happy trail adjacent. It's where, like, <laughs> Casey, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I do, but I've never heard the term before. No, nor have I. Maybe I accidentally made it up. It's possible. Casey, on the case. <laughs> Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. They also had some pretty clear standards about how they preferred the fireflies to be shipped. They said, look, we'll take them dead or alive, but we prefer them refrigerated and sent to us within five days of capture because the chemicals that we're after are more active if we get them alive. And these kids were, uh, I mean, cutthroat 
in the way that they competed with one another. Um, sure, this was kind of just like a fun thing to do, like as a hobby or whatever. But it, for some people, it was a it was serious business, right? And Sigma actually had uh, a sliding scale system, so you would actually get paid proportionately more. Um, as you know, you you sent them bigger loads, so you would start at fifty cents for a hundred flies. I think we said thirty earlier. It was somewhere between thirty and fifty cents. But once you reach twenty thousand, you were up to one cent per bug, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were these like almost factions that would emerge, where entire towns or groups of kids would pool all of their resources to maximize. Right? Uh, the Allison Firefly Club in Iowa actually brought in one million fireflies over the course of five years. And they used that money to build a pool for their community. Which is great. That's awesome. And there were other things that we could we could kind of describe as firefly mafias. Uh, still in Iowa, in Vinton, Iowa, th- there was a kingpin and a queenpin of, uh, of the firefly game. One kid who was, who was not identified, he was 10 or 11 years old, he said, instead of going straight to Sigma as a single operator, I'm going to rent a ton of Firefly nets. I'm going to hire a bunch of kids who work for me at a lower rate, and I'll take their bugs, and I'll give them to Sigma. And he was making about a penny a piece, according to experts. But remember, I said there were two Dons. Venton was home to another uh, quite successful young entrepreneur, Judy Wood, also known as the Lightning Bug Lady. Such a cool nickname. So the Lightning Bug Lady, uh, she spent um, an entire school year by her teacher's side, and she used her free summers and this network of kids that she was kind of controlling and turned it into this, like, bug kind of, like, industry, I guess you could say. She had over 400 kids that brought her their spoils every night from, like, as far as 45 miles away. I mean, this is like a serious operation. She's almost like the Marm Mandelbaum, uh, which we did an episode on on stuff that I want you to know recently, the first mob boss of New York who acted as like a fence. Uh, but this is exclusively one product, and she it's absolutely fence. I mean, it's not illegal, but she's like this kind of go-between um, with all of these folks that are going out and doing the actual work. Yeah. So when Judy Wood wrote to the Chicago Tribune, she said that she was bringing in about 35,000 fireflies to St. Louis every other day. And she did this every summer for over 25 years. Her firefly money put her kids through college. Jeez, that is commitment right there. That is a real racket. I love it. Got to respect that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, It's true. 25 years enough to put her kids through college. So we have uh, folks improving their local communities, Mm -hmm. building pools, fun stuff. Uh, We have someone actually putting their kids through college. Um, But here's the thing. Uh, It wasn't so good for everyone in this equation. And uh, by that, I'm referring to the fireflies themselves. So this is a firefly expert from Tufts University, Sarah Lewis, calculated that the Sigma Firefly Scientist Club uh, probably – killed in the neighborhood of 100 million fireflies during its time. And firefly population data, according to Lewis, is pretty sparse. And, you know, little kids with nets probably isn't 
their biggest uh, predator. I mean, they've got other problems to deal with. But uh, Lewis says 100 million fireflies is nothing to sneeze at. Mm-hmm. And it's really, in her estimation, kind of the principle of it, right? Yeah, it's sort of the tragedy of the commons, or at least tangentially related to that concept. If we consider these fireflies and the beauty they provide the world a shared natural resource, then according to Lewis, it should be for everyone. And it doesn't make sense to her that people would go out and harvest vast numbers of this, you know, especially for personal gain. And as as you said, look, these insects are facing a ton of other issues, habitat loss, light pollution, pesticides everywhere. But Despite the misgivings of, of, of some folks, some folks who did have a problem with this, the industry was booming until the 1990s. And here's a bit of a mystery. We don't know why, but the Sigma Firefly Scientists Club closed down, uh, you know, there in the 90s for undisclosed reasons. And people, people guessed at a couple of different things. They said, well, maybe the world is more environmentally minded or the U.S. is. Uh, Maybe child wages are too inflated for this to be profitable. Uh, Maybe the patent on synthetic luciferase expired, right? A company named Amgen had control of that patent for a long time. The company responsible for the firefly harvesting craze is now known as Sigma Aldrich, and they're valued at $17 billion. Woof. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah, a company built on the backs of... On the butts. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. <laughs> Built on the butts of uh, our little glowy boys. Um, and thankfully, they came up with a synthetic version of this stuff, so they didn't have to keep doing that anymore, right? Right. Well, the patent on it expired, so they didn't have to collect the natural stuff. But still, that's speculation. There is a synthetic. Mm-hmm. You're right. There is a synthetic version of this. Uh, you can still, however, buy a whole jar of fireflies from Sigma, pulled from the huge amount of fireflies they caught over the decades. Really? Mm-hmm. You can write to them today and, and buy a jar of, jar of fireflies. How much will that set you back? Let's see. Oh, let me correct that. I, I was looking for fireflies whole desiccated. That product has been discontinued. So until recently, you could buy a whole jar of fireflies. However, you can buy firefly lantern extract. It's the powder. It's just a powdered version of the glowing chemical, and it will set you back $224 U.S., which seems kind of expensive, but I am not, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in that market. You know what I mean? Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity. For yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I think that kind of sews up the story part of this. It was sort of a happy ending for the creatures. It didn't decimate their entire population. You can still go out on a, on a twilight night in the woods and see little glowy boys sparkling everywhere like tiny, tiny fairies. Uh, But Ben, we haven't answered the most important question in all of this. What's that? Is there a difference between a firefly and a lightning bug? Those are the two, you know, we we added some other names in the mix there, but these two are the ones that have always stuck for me. Are they just regional names for the same thing or are there scientific differences? Yeah, I was wondering about that too, Noel. It's, it's, uh, to rephrase the question, it's sort of like, are, are lightning bugs a distinct species or a, dis, a distinctly different thing from a firefly? Or is it more like uh, the way people in different parts of the country describe soda, right? Is it a pop? Is it a Coke? Is it a – I don't know what the other slang names for soda are. But there are over 2,000 species of fireflies that we know of. And according to Bert Vox, a University of Cambridge linguistics professor – the answer is probably something more along the lines of regional terms. Most people in the U.S. use both terms interchangeably, firefly and lightning bug. So 39.8% of us in the United States will use both of them. 30-something percent, 30.4% say firefly exclusively, and 29.1% say lightning bug exclusively. And I'm I'm wondering... uh, I'm wondering if that southern lightning bug feels like a southern thing to me. Here's one. <laughs> this is the weirdest one. In this study, again, 10,000 people, 0.02% or two people total in the study called these bioluminescent bugs peeny wally. Mm. It's a new one did, to me. Did they know each other? <laughs> Was it the same guy? That's very strange. <laughs> Nobody called them little glowy boys? No, no, glowy boy and bright butt. Those are those are things that I think we discovered today. That's unfortunate. It could be a great T-shirt. I think it could. Uh, well, I guess that. Uh... No, we got soft. It's time, gentlemen. <laughs> Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister. You hey, got a up? you got a lot of nerve coming here, Mister. Yeah. I mean, you had plenty of advance warning today. <laughs> That's true. We yeah. did hang out and talk we, about this earlier. We were on base camp. We were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you, know, you also totally tipped your hand on the the message board. I did. Yeah, no. I, well, I mean, they, they, I, I didn't tell anybody what I was going to talk about, what You're the topics were going to be. I think uh, it, I, I, thought, I thought it was great. We got to uh, do a little old school shout out to our company's continuing Deep-seated beef with Wikipedia. Yes, yes. The, <laughs> the ongoing rivalry. No, there's no rivalry there. It's just we aren't allowed to. We were never allowed to use it as a source. Oh, but the wait, times they are changing. Yes. Yeah, so. So now back to uh, back to my my nemesis, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. You're, I'm against you guys. Yeah, you're yeah. you're speaking of rivals there. Uh, yeah. You are not here today to give any of us a gift necessarily or to, to wish us happy birthday or pay a social call. You're not here to borrow a cup of sugar. No. You're up you're up to your old tricks again. I, I, I am up to my old tricks. We are going to have another uh, attempt to see if you guys can determine whether or not the the scenario I present to you is real or if I made it up seas as, uh, as is always the case. For those of you who are not familiar, yes, this is the most cringe-worthy segment in all of podcasting where I come in and I present our beloved hosts a scenario. They have to figure out if it is a true thing or a fake thing. They get three minutes to do it. And uh, they also can ask me a question if they follow an arbitrary rule of my choosing. <laughs> And uh, so I'm going to read out the scenario for you. I will give you the rule, and then we will start the clock. Uh, So here's the scenario. Now, first, the following is absolutely true, 100%. I'm establishing a prologue. This is something I never, ever do. So this is new. be grateful for it, is what yeah, I'm saying. I like what you're doing here. In 1874, the Great Plains of the United States was devastated by a plague of grasshoppers, or more accurately, the Rocky Mountain Locust. There were literally trillions of the bugs, and they ate pretty much everything except peas. There were stories of them eating wool off of sheep in the fields or the clothes off farmers' backs, All of that is true, but is this part true? Different communities tried battling these things in various ways. They put together hopper dozers, which were essentially plows that would scoop up locusts by the thousands. They would set fires to try and discourage the bugs, which the locusts would simply extinguish by landing on the burning heaps and smothering the fire. One way communities tried to deal with it, locusts was to offer bounties for dead grasshoppers. For example, in Nicolet County, Minnesota, the county government offered $1 for every bushel of locusts brought in. The final total came in at $25,053, and it didn't even put a dent in the problem. On top of that, John S. Pillsbury, governor of Minnesota at the time, passed a law stating that every able-bodied man would have to spend one day a week for five weeks, destroying grasshopper eggs. Now, if you want to ask a question, you must precede it with the phrase, what's the buzz? Tell me what's a happening. Okay, hang on. I have to run to the clock. Oh, man. One day this clock is going to be worth it. Okay. And begin. Uh, hey, hey, what's the buzz? What's a happening? Was that Why close? should you <laughs> want to know? No, go ahead. Tell me. Tell me. What's your, what's your okay, question? Okay. Okay. Uh, so the part that is established as true is the fact that there was... A locust plague in 1874 uh, in the Great Plains. Plague of locusts mm-hmm. in the Great Plains. And what we're attempting to determine the veracity of is whether or not the uh, methods of trying to uh, to attack these locusts are true. Exactly. Correct? Okay. Buzz, buzz, what's a happening? Close enough. No. Yeah, okay. yes, Was me. this area of the country known for uh, sinfulness? I mean, it's the Great Plains. It's a flyover state. So I never pay attention to them. Oh, wow. That's oh, that's a hot take that's from the quizster. Hot, hot take. <laughs> no, man. no, I know. But for serious, I have no clue. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's 1874. It's, it's a plague of locusts. That is kind of maybe figure they had it coming, yeah, biblically speaking. To be fair, I mean, the whole nation in 1874 was sort of in a kind of 
healing pattern. That's true. That's uh, a good point. Hey, hey, what's the buzz? What's a happening? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Not big Android Weber fans here in the. No, what is this from? I don't it's know from this Jesus Christ Superstar. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, what's the buzz? What's a happening? Is this a scenario wherein most of this could be true, but one thing could be untrue and sink us? I'm asking because— I'm not doing something where out of all the stuff I told okay. you, one little thing yeah, has I, been changed. I, 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 think, I think what's in question here is whether or not the bounty existed and, you know, the response to the local. And I was wondering That's how right. much the bounty was. It, like, it's, it's, either, it's either all true or okay. it's— all, I made it all up. Okay, because I didn't want us to get pinged on something where it's like, ha, 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 ha. you no, make it, it was, too easy. It was, it was a dollar was... seventeen. Yeah, I know, I no, know. That's no, what it, that's what no. thinking. It's you know, not, Ben? I'm going true. I'm going big time true on this one. All right, well, lock it in. Lock it in. Three, two, one. True. Oh, man. Curses! We finally oh, bested you. Oh. Casey, can we get some celebratory music? Yeah, it's been a hot minute. We we were reaching out to yeah. the internet to see if someone was keeping track, maybe, because we certainly aren't, but I'm pretty sure we are miles behind. Yeah, yeah. you managed to make up a little bit of uh, territory here. Well, let me give you a little bit more insight into please, this, because please, it is please. fascinating. So, yes, there was a grasshopper plague, a locust plague in 1874. yes. People made hopper dozers, which were essentially these plows that had been adjusted to collect locusts in various ways. People did issue bounties for bushels of dead grasshoppers. Mm. A bushel, by the way, in case you're curious, is about equivalent to 9.2 gallons. So one bushel of dead grasshoppers is about 10 gallons of dead grasshoppers. And so you get a dollar for that. And uh, I also adjusted for inflation just for the heck of it. That's about $22.50 per bushel. Hey, nice. Up top. I'm high-fiving. And it also means that that the entire payout from that one county in Minnesota was nearly – was slightly more than half a million dollars total just for bushels of dead grasshoppers. Uh, There were multiple – places that would issue these sort of bounties. Uh-huh. Uh, Missouri had a dollar a bushel bounty that started in March of 1875, I believe, and then it went down to 50 cents the next uh, month, then it went down to 25 cents the next month, then it went down to 10 cents next month. So diminishing returns for your dead grasshoppers. I, I'd like to point out something for the listening audience. Uh, the, the Quister is wearing his own T-shirt. I am. He's like one of those guys in the band. I'm representing the myself. Band shirt. Yes. Which you, you know what, I really, I still really like that T-shirt. And to be fair, you did say that you were going to wear that for anybody on Ridiculous Historians. He's really doing it. He's yep. really doing it. <laughs> yeah, I committed. Uh, interestingly, John S. Pillsbury, the governor of Minnesota, was also co-founder of the Pillsbury Company. Oh. It's named after his nephew, uh, Charles Alfred Pillsbury. So the two of them were the co-founders of the company. Where's the Doughboy thing come from? I mean, it was whenever you pushed John Pillsbury's <laughs> tummy, he went, hee-hee. And, and then locusts would fly out of his mouth and swallow you whole. No, this guy sounds like a good time. That like, might have been I, a lie, <laughs> that part. Also, interesting fact. Yes. Something that's truly – the stories of these locusts is something that will make your, your blood just chill in your veins. They, they talk about the sun going dark because mm-hmm. of clouds of these things and that they literally were eating the clothes off of people's backs as they were trying to get inside. They ruined the economy too, right? They, $200 million dollars worth of damage in the Great Plains states. There was actually a Missouri uh, scientist who recommended eating them and a lot of people said 
ew, gross, and they didn't. But it probably wouldn't have mattered anyway. You never could have eaten as many as were out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting fact, though, despite the fact that there were trillions of these things devastating the middle of the United States, today they're extinct. Wow. And, and there's not really a good scientific explanation for exactly what happened. There are a lot of hypotheses, but we don't actually know what led to them going to extinct. I mean, did they serve a purpose other than just decimating crops? And I mean, like, do, do humans serve a purpose apart from flying over the Great Plains states? Uh, we make all sorts of snacks. It's true. It's also true. Yes. We, we all also are the only creatures that seem to hold abstract, at times contradictory, belief systems. Oh, no. Have you ever talked about it to a grasshopper about, like, any, like, really deep philosophical question? Because they will waffle waffle all over. It always goes back to grass, though, with them. That's the thing. The problem is that they constantly jump to conclusions. Also, I feel like hopperdozer is a cool, fake, anachronistic insult. I dig it. When I came across (laughs) that line, I said, did I write this? You old hopperdozer. Is this me that wrote this thing? No, it was, uh, but it is interesting that this was a problem that was mm-hmm. devastating the United States. Uh, there were real uh, efforts to send disaster relief mm-hmm. to those states from other parts of the U.S. because there were entire economies that were completely devastated. It sounds like literal hell on earth. Mm. Being yeah. swarmed and like having your clothes eaten off of your body. Yes, and just... they're eating the wool off of sheep in the fields. Yeah. And, and they, they said that you could actually hear them chewing. And that it could reduce acres of corn in just three hours. Which— To nothing. Just chew it all the way down to the ground. Still, the most insane part to me is this mysterious extinction. You know, it makes you think this country—I don't want to sound like a performative environmentalist or something, Mm -hmm. but that's the most chilling part. The fact that this this entire life form— disappeared, like the passenger pigeons that also used to blot out the sky, right? Yes, yes. Yes, they would also peck the clothes off of people's backs when they were trying to run into the farmhouses. I can hear the pecks in the distance. Mm, That's the other thing, because you could probably hear the swarm coming. Oh, yes. No, they they said that it sounded like a really terrible storm because they were just they were just hitting against walls and, oh, yeah. and rooftops. And yes, apparently the 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 Rocky Mountains area oh. where the grasshoppers when they're by the way, when they're individuals, they're grasshoppers. It's only when they're in mass that you call them locusts. Which is oh, also kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah. So the but they they apparently had a just a very uh, good year for their for all the eggs survived mm. more eggs survived than normal. But there was a food shortage in their native habitat. So then they migrated down from the Rocky Mountain area across the Great Plains, and it was from the Dakotas down through Texas wow. that was just absolutely affected by this. Kansas was really hit hard. Missouri was hit hard. Today, I learned something. I had no idea that okay, a grasshopper by itself is a grasshopper, a grasshopper in mass is locusts. People don't have anything that cool yet. No, where you got like a one one doofus is just a doofus and a whole bunch of doofuses is Congress. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. We got the button. We got we got yeah. there. Uh, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the show. It's been too long. You know, we had uh, people in the audience who were asking us, uh, they, were, they were asking us where the heck you were at. 
And then we read, uh, you actually showed up in some of the reviews that we foolishly read on Ouch. our listener mail episode. Sorry about that, guys. It's true. No, we, uh, we took it. How bad def- was it? <laughs> like, boy, when the quizzer comes on, I just have they to hit They didn't even stop. name you by name. They just referred to some annoying component of the show. I mean, and, uh, that's we, fair. We, we knew which one it was. I, I, I knew it when I pitched it. <laughs> well, we were pretty sure that we were the annoying components of the show. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it, was, it was very specifically other than us. We were also identified <laughs> as annoying components. Yes. But uh, it was a third uh, component. I am somewhat consoled by the fact that at least one person said they think that the Quister should start showing up on other shows too. But I have a feeling. I like that. I like the in-universe tie-in. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this offline. Let's Sounds see if good. we can figure out a way to have you appear and like crash someone else's podcast. We have to figure out someone who'd be a good sport about it. Let us know uh, what podcast you think the Quister should crash next. Uh, you can tell us at uh, Facebook. You can let us know on Instagram. Uh, you can let us know on Twitter. Uh, we highly recommend our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians, where you can meet our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. Also, let us know if you have ever been in the Firefly catching business. Just interested. I would say let us know if you lived through that uh locust swarm in the locust plague in the 1800s but if you have lived that long i think you probably won't confess it just <laughs> honestly so thanks as always to the uh the part of the show we all love to hate but mostly just love to love jonathan strickland the the, the notorious quizster uh, i gotta give you props for finding such a similar story to the story that we talked about today. That was uh, very well done. I really wanted to do that. You know, the original story I picked was one that you guys have already covered in a previous episode what of Ridiculous it? History. It was using fleas as weapons mm-hmm. in World War II, but then you guys did a full episode yeah, on we that. we did. We also uh, did another episode about a similar situation where uh, school kids were encouraged to shoot squirrels uh, and send their severed tails to the governor's office, almost like cereal box tops. Golly, that I... I'm going to have to listen to that show. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> uh, so thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, research associates Gabe Lugier, and Ryan Barish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, thanks, of course, as well, to Eve's Jeffcoat and Christopher Hasiotis, friends of the show and friends of ours. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks to uh, all the bright butts, all the glowy boys out there. And Noel, thank you to you. Uh, for for yet another wonderful, whimsical, ridiculous journey through history. And you as well, sir. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.